Luke chapter 22, a special message designed for the Lord's table on the betrayal of Christ in Gethsemane. I'll read verses 19 through 23, and then we'll skip on down to verse 47. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, and he, that is Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 20, likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Would you skip on down to verse 47. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou, or literally are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? <clears throat> Moving verses, heart-rending verses when we really understand the pathos involved here. Over the last several months on the Sundays that we've observed communion, when I've had the privilege of speaking, we have been revisiting what transpired in the Garden of Gethsemane the struggle of Jesus there, the agony. What a rich study it's been. I really believe with all my heart the crucifixion of our Savior, His death upon Golgotha, cannot be fully appreciated, and certainly the benefits of it cannot be appropriated if we do not understand the lead-up to that in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was in the Garden that Jesus passed the crisis. It was in the Garden that Jesus received the power to go through with it. And if you've been here for those messages, this is the fifth in the series. We've talked about his agony. Oh, how he suffered as no other man has. Oh, other men have suffered as much physically as Jesus, but not in every sense of the word. And he could honestly say what uh, Jeremiah said in Lamentations, Behold, is there anyone who has sorrow like unto my sorrow? wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me, because that was where the principal sorrow came from, God the Father. His agony there, his loneliness, how touching. When he came back to his sleeping disciples and he said, what, could ye not watch with me one hour? He needed them. He needed their sympathy. And the hour that he needed it most, they were no good to him. His resignation in the garden as he concluded his prayer with, in the same way we should conclude our prayer, I believe, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Then we talked about something often overlooked, and that is the miracles in Gethsemane, the healing of Malchus' ear, the power of Christ's word when they came to arrest him, and he went out to them and said, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am not really I am He, but I am. He was the great I am of the Old Testament. And they all fell backward to the ground. We're not talking about just a, a little band here. We're talking about hundreds of people. 
Hundreds of the temple police, they all fell like slake lime in front of him. It would have gotten your attention if you'd been there. Hundreds of armed men. And Christ just had a little band of 11 because Judas was with the other side. And the fact that those 11 were left unharmed and untaken when they only had two swords among them, that's a miracle. But today we come to the fifth message in this series for the Lord's Table, the betrayal and arrest of our Lord. And even in this hour when he seemed at his weakest, I chuckle as I think about it, he showed that he was in control, amen? There's so much here that should evoke our awe and our worship. The arrival of Judas with this band of many temple police to betray Jesus ended his agony and his prayer in Gethsemane, but it didn't end it abruptly. Jesus had finished what he set out to do. He'd finished his prayers, we see in verse 45. An angel had already strengthened him after he had struggled to the point of sweating great drops of blood, as we read in verse 43. Aren't you glad that Jesus was operating on God's timetable and not Judas? Judas Iscariot is history's most infamous traitor. In fact, the good a title for a message, I've never used this title, would be the, the Treacherous Treasurer. The Treacherous Treasurer. Before Jesus left the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas came with this motley band to arrest his master. As we come to the table of the Lord today and recall how low Judas stooped to betray his master, we would do well to examine our own hearts with the same question that the other disciples asked them, Jesus about themselves. They said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm an independent Baptist from the tip of my head to the sole of my feet. You say, what would you be if you weren't an independent Baptist? I'd be ashamed. That's what I'd be. And it's, um, it's, it runs in my blood. And the more I see other denominational churches and visit them, the more I'm glad I'm an independent Baptist. But one of the things we talk about a lot, but I'm not sure we understand, is this matter of eternal security. I believe in eternal security, but I don't believe it's the same as carnal security. real quiet. You're listening. Good. Did you know the safest place to be is in an attitude of deep distrust of our own hearts? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There is nothing incompatible with that attitude and cultivating the assurance of our salvation. Did you realize the same apostle that said, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day? The apostle Paul, the same one who said that, also said to the Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 27 of his first epistle, I keep my body under, I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be 
a castaway. Don't lessen the force of that word. It's a dokimos. Disapproved. Rejected. Reprobate. Oh, we dance around that a whole lot. The story of Judas is a wake-up call and a case study for every one of us. We need to hold the assurance of our salvation in a deep distrust of our own hearts. Amen, Brother Bob, that's good preaching. Let's take a deeper look into what happened when Judas came to the garden and and why God allowed it. And I'll do it under two heads this morning. You say, glad you got a shorter message than usual since we have the Lord's table. You usually have three points, don't it? I want to talk about the diabolical drama, the unfolding of what happened, and then the divine design, the diabolical drama. I say diabolical because Satan certainly was involved here. I don't believe that Jesus was praying to be delivered from a premature death at the hands of Satan, though I've heard some preachers say that when he was in the garden. But I do believe that Satan was certainly lurking in the shadows of the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that Satan himself entered into Judas, according to John 13, verse 27. It wasn't just that Judas was demon-possessed. No, Satan himself entered into him. He didn't delegate this task to anybody else. He said, I want to handle this one. There are only two major characters here, the antagonist and the protagonist the betrayer and the betrayed. And what a case study we have in each one. So let's take them in order, shall we? First of all, the betrayer. We know him as Judas Iscariot. Probably the last name or the name Iscariot refers to where he was from. He was an inhabitant of Kerioth. By the way, Jesus had two disciples named Judas. The other Judas was also called Thaddeus. He had two Jameses, didn't he? The betrayer. Who was Judas? What do we know about him? Well, we know that he was a trusted friend. We just read a little while ago from Psalm 41. It had been prophesied in that psalm that the betrayer would be, and I'm quoting from it, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread. Isn't it amazing the specificity of that? Jesus had just broken bread with Judas. He ate of his bread. Jesus gave him the bread, the sop, the bread dipped in the paste. Judas was so trusted by the twelve that he was made the treasurer of the group. No doubt Jesus recognized that Judas had some prudence with finances. Maybe he saw that impetuous Peter was not the man for this job. And John, a young man, no doubt bright, but he was of so loving a spirit, so young, that he might easily have been a a soft touch for beggars and frauds. So John wasn't the treasurer. May I remind you that Judas had an admirable public character. His persona was 
great. We never read that he boasted like Peter. We never read that he bugged Jesus with constant questioning like Philip and Thomas did. In all likelihood, Judas collected himself with real decorum in class. By the way, how great our accountability if we have been placed in the position of trust. To whomsoever much is given, the same shall much be required, Jesus said. Judas was a trusted friend. Secondly, we know that he was a thief. The Bible says in John 12, verse 6, that he kept the bag, the common treasury, but he stole from it. He skimmed off the top, according to John 12, verse 6. Nobody knew that, of course, except Jesus. Like the rich young ruler, his darling sin was covetousness. He had sticky fingers. Maybe he had grown up poor. That could have well been the case. And Judas had joined Jesus with the expectation that he would soon be proclaimed king of the Jews, and Judas, along with the other disciples, would ride his coattails into kingdom wealth. That's what he really expected. And when things turned south, Judas really got disillusioned. He was a trusted friend. He was a thief. He was an apostate. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was not a true disciple. He announced to his disciples early on in his three and a half year ministry, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil, John 6, verse 70. May I remind you that Judas was a preacher, just like the other eleven. He worked miracles. When the apostle met to nominate a successor to Judas, Peter said he was numbered with us. He had obtained part of this ministry. Yet there came a time when, as we've already mentioned, Satan entered into him as Jesus took the bread, dipped in the paste, and gave it to him. John 13, verse 27. Now, I remind you, Satan cannot possess a true believer. Jesus said in John chapter 10, no man, no devil, no anybody shall take them, the true sheep, out of my hand. And once Satan entered into Judas, he became a hardened reprobate. He never repented. His heart turned as hard as the proverbial nether millstone. Just like another traitor who lived before him by the name of Ahithophel, the trusted friend of of David who double-crossed him uh, to side with his rebel son Absalom, Judas, just like Ahithophel, committed suicide rather than admit his guilt to the one that he had wronged and ask forgiveness. And Jesus said concerning Judas that it would have been better for him if he had never been born. A couple places in the Gospels it says that. Yes, Judas committed the unpardonable sin. Judas crossed God's deadline. God gave him up to his own depravity. That ought to scare you. Because God still does that. That's the betrayer. But now I want you to see the, the, the protagonist, the betrayed. Jesus Christ. 
It was Jesus of Nazareth, this peasant rabbi, that the scribes and Pharisees really wanted, the high priests. And Judas knew that. And so he had negotiated with them for a paltry 30 pieces of silver, which is about $20 in today's money, to deliver him conveniently into their hand. They knew, and Judas knew, that it, it had to be at the right time in the right place so they wouldn't have a riot on their hands. And Jesus knew, or Judas knew Jesus' haunts. He knew how frequently he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. As I stated in the last communion message, I mentioned it all briefly already, there were hundreds of men that made up the Jewish temple police, including some Roman soldiers, that came equipped with lanterns and torches and weapons, escorted by Judas. The word band means cohort. Roman cohort would have been at least 600 men. And because it was feast time and the streets were swollen with pilgrims, probably hundreds of thousands of them, there would have been extra soldiers on hand from the nearby Antonia Fortress. I mean, if you had seen this group that came to arrest Jesus, you would have thought Jesus must have been some dangerous armed criminal surrounded by a fearless group of desperado guerrillas. In reality, he was an unarmed man in a greatly weakened physical state, surrounded by a group of frightened men who had only two small swords among them, as I mentioned. As far as the Jewish leaders were concerned, this one to whom Judas led them was a dangerous revolutionary. He was a blasphemer. But I'd like to ask you something. What was he as far as God was concerned? In this story, the same context, I think we can come up with several things. First of all, as far as God was concerned, the blood of Jesus was the innocent blood. Take your Bibles, keep your fingers in Luke 22, but turn to uh, Matthew chapter 27, if you would. Matthew 27 and verse 4. We'll start at verse 3, get in the context. <clears throat> Parallel passage here. Verse 3 of Matthew 27, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, that had happened already, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. It doesn't mean he got saved. He repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. Could I remind you that it was innocent blood? As the prophet Isaiah foretold hundreds of years in advance, in Isaiah chapter 53, that marvelous evangelical chapter of the Old Testament, the John 3.16 passage of the Old Testament, verse 9, he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. I submit to you that the greatest travesty of justice ever perpetrated by human beings was when Jesus was crucified while Barabbas, an insurrectionist and a murderer, an insurrectionist that would make the events of January 6th look like it was just air pistols, was allowed to go free. It was all part of God's plan for the just to die for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God. Innocent blood. Who was Jesus to God? Well, He was 
the merciful Savior. We read in Matthew's account, chapter 26, verse 50, maybe if you still have your Bible open to Matthew 27, you can just turn over page before and you'll see in verse 50, and Jesus said unto Judas when he came and kissed him, friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Isn't it amazing that Jesus used that term of address, friend, comrade? He didn't say villain. He didn't say traitor. You would have thought that when Jesus spoke that to to, to Judas, if there had been any milk of human kindness left in his breast, if there had been anything good left in Judas, it would have caused him to cry out, Master, I've come to betray you, but your unrequited love and mercy has melted my heart. I can't follow through with my dastardly deed. I confess it. I say, if you're going to be bound, I'll be bound with you. But no, Satan had entered in him. No turning back. Jesus had shown the same condescension and loved Judas when at the Last Supper he took a towel and girded himself and washed Judas's feet along with the other 11 disciples. Do you remember what Jesus said on that occasion? After he had to correct Peter's mistaken theology, he said, Now ye are clean, but not all. And he cast a mournful eye on Judas. What was he doing? He was giving Judas another chance to repent. How could Jesus have been any more personal? Judas saw the agony and the grief on the face of Jesus. The fact that he could remain unmoved is completely inexplicable. It's the mystery of iniquity. How did God see Jesus? Well, thirdly, he saw him as the one who was despised and rejected of men. Again, I mentioned Jesus was in a greatly weakened state already. He had sweat great drops of blood. That's a medical phenomenon that is now known. And yet Judas, his treasurer, his trusted friend, offers him no solace. I mean, he gets up, and it it had to be supernatural strength, and even enabled him to to get up from the garden. And what does he have to face right off the bat? The treachery of one of his own disciples. No mercy. No sympathy. How this must have aggravated the woe of our beloved Lord as he saw the final impenitence and the fearful doom of the traitor. Before we leave the first point about the betrayal, I want you to just look at the act itself, the betrayal. It was presumptuous. Isn't it amazing Judas didn't wait for the devil to come to him? He went after the devil. He went to the chief priests and the elders and he said, what will ye give me? Matthew 26, verse 15. We're always off on the wrong foot when we take that approach. Many professing Christians have that as their criteria for choosing a church. What will you give me? What will you do for me? I'm not sure he was a Christian, but the late John F. Kennedy, his words could easily be tweaked to talk about the church. 
Ask not what can the church do for you, but what can you do for the church? What can we do to serve Jesus? That should be our attitude. The act was presumptuous. Secondly, the act was hypocritical. The Bible said that Jesus, uh, Judas came to Jesus and the agreed upon sign that he had given the band for identifying Jesus would be, would be the one that he would kiss. Remember, it was dark, though there, there was a full moon that night. And they could not easily distinguish Jesus from his disciples. So Judas had said, he's, he'll be the one I kiss. What a sinister way to point out a friend. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And no more was that glaringly true than in this instance. By the way, Jesus blended in with the other disciples. He had to be identified as the one that Judas kissed. He didn't have a halo around his head. And when you examine the meaning of the Greek here, Judas went up and held him and kissed him repeatedly, profusely. How dastardly. And so Jesus protests. Judas, is this the way you're betraying the Son of Man? Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I would submit to you that the, the lips are the most sensitive skin on the body. That's why God touched the lips of Isaiah with a live coal from off the altar. Don't you know he felt that? He felt it keenly. But this is the usual MO, modus operandi, for apostates. They always pretend to have profound respect for Christ, even for the Bible. But they betray with a kiss. The most devout-looking people in the world are often the most hypocritical. Oh, they'll compliment Jesus. They'll call him a great teacher, a wonderful example, the one who inaugurated and uh, exemplified an exalted code of ethics. But they stop short of calling him Lord and of taking up his cross and following him. Those words they use are just the kiss by which they betray. Beware of them. I know I get heavy with my preaching, but folks, we're living in a solemn day. There's a bunch of junk out there, and Christians are caught up in it. And I have one hour on Sunday to tell you, beware of it. So I don't joke. I'm serious as a heart attack. Secondly, I want you to see the divine design, the purpose. I think the burning question in all of our minds and hearts whenever the subject of Judas comes up should be, why did Jesus the Messiah choose Judas as one of his disciples, knowing that he would betray him? Again, John 6, verse 70, Jesus said, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Why? Why did he still go ahead and choose him? could offer five reasons. I hope this will bless our hearts and lead naturally into the observance of the Lord's table. First of all, Jesus chose Judas, knowing he would betray him, to fulfill the Scripture. 
we've already noted Psalm 41, verse 9, which was certainly fulfilled on this occasion. But, but there's a companion passage we did look at, and that's Psalm 55. If you look at Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, <clears throat> this clearly refers to Judas. Verse 12, Psalm 55, for it was an not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Now David who wrote this psalm is no doubt referring to Ahithophel, a man I mentioned already who double-crossed him and joined up with Absalom, his rebel son. But certainly this is a messianic passage foreshadowing Judas. Judas further fulfilled Scripture by despairing of life and committing suicide. He went to his own place, the Bible said. That wasn't heaven. He left his habitation desolate, as we read in Psalm 69, verse 25 which is quoted in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, when the apostles met to nominate his successor. Furthermore, we know from Acts chapter 4, verse 28, if you'll just jot that reference down, it was God who determined beforehand by his hand and counsel everything that happened to his son, to Jesus, the Christ. Yes, Jesus died according to the Scriptures, Many prophecies were fulfilled to the letter on Calvary, or the events leading up to it or winding down from it, including this detailed one about his betrayal by a friend. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus even foretold his betrayal in Judas's hearing? Judas heard it so that he might take warning and recover himself out of the snare of the devil. Most traitors don't, don't usually proceed in their plot when they know that they're discovered, but this one did. Why did Jesus go ahead and choose him? To fulfill the Scriptures. Number two, he, did, he went ahead and chose Judas, knowing that he would betray him, to furnish the most impartial witness to his innocence. There were numbers who bore witness to Jesus' innocence. I think of, of Pilate. I, it, the Bible scholars differ on how many times it was that Pilate came out to, to interrogate Jesus and to find some way to get him off his hands. He even symbolically took that bowl of water and washed his hands and said, I'm free of the blood of this man, but he, he's still trying to wring his hands and get free of that blood in hell. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man, but Pilate had only examined Jesus for a few minutes while Judas knew him closely for three years. I think about the thief hanging at his side. I'm talking about the repentant thief who was answering the unrepentant thief who was casting sneers into Jesus' face and saying, if you're the Son of God, save yourself and us. But the thief on the other side of the cross had to lift his voice so he could be heard to hit the other thief. And he said, wait a minute, we're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing amiss, nothing wrong. 
I think of the centurion who said, truly, this man was the son of God. But wait a minute, but that could be explained a little bit by the fact he was overawed by the earthquake. I think it was deeper than that. But he was pretty impressed by that. I think of Pilate's wife who who sent a communication to her husband while he was interrogating Jesus on the judgment seat and kept going back to him again and again. And she said in a communique, have thou nothing to do with this just man? I've suffered many things this night in a dream because of him. But wait a minute, a dream has little or no weight of evidence in court. But Judas offers the most impartial witness to the innocence of Christ of all those people tortured by his conscience. He takes that money, the 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, the the money he had received for betraying Jesus, he takes it back to the chief priest, he casts it down on the temple floor, and he confesses, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood, Matthew chapter 27, verse 4. They were completely nonplussed. They could not have cared less. They said, you see to that. We don't care about this at all. But the point is, nothing forced that from Judas but his own conscience enlightened by three years of intimate experience with his master Jesus. Why did Jesus go ahead and choose Judas, knowing that he would betray him? Thirdly, he did it to prove that hypocrisy is ever present. Eight times in the Gospels, we read one of them in our text. Eight times, Judas is referred to as one of the twelve. Isn't that interesting? He's not named separately, even though Jesus named Peter separately when he told the women to go on the day of his resurrection, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm risen from the dead. But Jesus didn't separate Judas from the rest of the group. He was one of them. Judas had gone on short-term mission trips with the other 11. He had preached, he'd worked miracles, he'd cast out demons even though now Satan was entered into him. He was respected, not suspected by the other 11. But when Jesus announced that one of them would betray him, none of them said, is it him? Is it Judas? They all said, Lord, is it I? And now get this. Judas himself joined in, completing his hypocrisy, and he said, Rabbi, is it I? Could you sink any lower than that? There was no sincere self-examination there. I hope that the examination that you experienced before we observed the Lord's table was more sincere than that. Hypocrisy is ever-present among us. Let's not be too shocked when someone in our midst turns out to be a fake and a fraud and a phony, an apostate. Jesus had one out of the twelve to be that, Judas. Paul had his Demas who forsook him, going back to the world. John had his Diotrephes who loved to have the preeminence instead of Jesus. And on and down through the history of the church, we could talk about it. I think of Jonathan Edwards, who labored faithfully in his father-in-law's church for 23 years up in Northampton, Massachusetts, and took a stand for regenerate church membership, which we do as a Baptist church, by the way. 
After 23 years of, of being an instrument of revival and preaching faithfully the gospel and the doctrines of the Word of God, as few others have done, a deacon turned against him and got a movement against him and got him kicked out of the church. He had to live on the frontier ministering to Indians, which he joyfully accepted with 12 children. Oh, we sing the praises of Jonathan Edwards. We call him the greatest intellect that North America ever produced. But I'm telling you, at 51 years of age, it wasn't that way. He had his Judas. After Edwards' death, that deacon, tortured like Judas was, took out a full-page ad in the newspaper to admit that he'd been wrong. Edwards was gone. Why did Jesus choose Judas, knowing he would betray him? Fourthly, he did it to expose the depravity of the human heart. Again, I said, as I quoted from 1 Corinthians 9, 27, which evoked a lot of silence, we don't know what our sinful hearts are capable of. Jesus rebuked James and John. On one occasion with the words, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. When Jesus chose Judas, I doubt that the thought of betraying Jesus ever dawned upon Judas. And yet he turned out to be the son of perdition. As Jesus said in John chapter 17. We could spend a lot of time on this, answering this question, but could I just get, say a few things? What happened to Judas? What happened to Judas? I think we can say pretty certain, uh, confidently that he gradually became thoroughly disillusioned. Judas came to the realization that Jesus was not going to overthrow Rome and there were not going to be any spoils of victory that he was going to share with his disciples. In fact, at one point, as is recorded in John 18, verse 36, Jesus just came right out and said, my kingdom is not of this world. And you know Judas' heart sank when he heard that. He felt betrayed. Isn't that something? The betrayer felt betrayed. Jesus had robbed him of two years of money-making. So when he saw what was going to happen as Jesus came to Jerusalem with a triumphal entry, and then he saw the tide turn against him, he said, well, I'm just going to have to cut my, my losses even if I only clear 30 pieces of silver. And Satan actually entered into him, as we said already, according to John 13, verse 27. When he left the upper room to go out and to nego negotiate the terms of the betrayal, the Bible says that it was night. John 13, 30. And could I just say it's always night for the one who rejects and sells out the Son of God. It's always night. But lastly, why did Jesus choose Judas, knowing he would betray him? He did it to show his long-suffering to sinners. I've already pointed out how Jesus, even to the very last, was giving Judas space to repent. He called him friend comrade. He looked him straight in the eyes. Did that stop Judas in his tracks? Oh no. 
He'd already crossed God's deadline. He would never repent. And so this man of whom the Bible says, Jesus said it, it would have been better if he had never been born, he kissed the door to heaven and he went to hell. Could it be that I'm speaking to someone under the sound of my voice either in this room or watching by live stream? Oh, you, you attend church or at least you hear the sermons. You can sing the hymns. You know many of the words. You stand at the right time. You bow your head with everybody else. You mingle with the true disciples. You're the object of God's love and patience and long-suffering, but you are just as lost as Judas. If something doesn't happen between now and the time you die, it could well be written on your tombstone, so close and yet so far. Will you recover yourself before it's too late? Oh, how long-suffering God is to sinners. They hear the gospel again and again and again. They probably have multiple copies of the Word of God in their home. They know people who are true Christians. Oh, yeah, they know some hypocrites too, and Satan wants them to hide behind them, but they know some true believers. And yet, they're as impenitent as Judas. Oh, I pray the sermon today will be a warning to you and a wake-up call. Think of it, the most diabolical act of history could not thwart the divine plan. Amen. Jesus said in verse 22, And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus went to the cross from that point to save us. And Judas went to his place within just a few hours. Hell. Well, my dear friends, it's all going to come out one day. Who we really are. And what's really in our hearts. Will you bow in prayer with me? Father, thank you for recording the story of Judas in your inspired word. I pray that each of us here today and those watching by live stream or those who will yet see and hear the sermon will honestly examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, lest we be found finally to be reprobates. As we partake of these emblems of Jesus' dying love, oh, Father, may it be with all sincerity and due solemnity. May our hearts be melted by that love. May we heed the sobering warnings that you have given to us. Would you work in hearts, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.